Ephesians chapter 3. I love the book of Ephesians. It is full and rich of theology. Theology is our concept of God. Theology is not just doctrine. It's not just systematic doctrinal study. Everyone has a theology. You're a theologian, whether you like it or not. You might not know scripture. You might not know doctrine, but your theology, the the study of God, your, your concept or your view, let me just simplify it, your view of God, your vision of God, the way you see God. How do you see God? What does he look like? Uh, is he nice? Does he love you? Is he ever in a bad mood? Like, you know, we all have a concept of God. Was he really mean in the Old Testament? And then all of a sudden he got really nice when Jesus came. You know, like what, what is our view of God? How do we understand God when we read the scripture? Uh, you know, it, it, it will either supplement a healthy view of God or it can actually add to a distorted view of God. Depending on our paradigm, depending on our background, depending on what we've been taught, depending on who we are, depending on what we've experienced in life. Because I'm going to tell you, if we have a, a skewed vision of God, our experiences can actually cause God to look more like a monster. Let me give an example. If you think that God, the creator, is exhaustively in control of everything that happens in the world, when something, when evil befalls you, whether you realize it or not, and Christians will say with a false comfort, well, God is in control, with almost like a passive, fatalistic mindset, thinking that, well, he's still in charge, so I guess he's allowing this for a reason because he works all things Together, almost as if, hear me, he initiates it. If we have that view of God, which we could get into it, but we don't have time, that is actually a Greek philosophical view of God. But if we see that when something befalls us, we can try to comfort ourselves and say, well, God is in control. He's allowing it for a reason. But deep down, deeply seated in our hearts, in our minds, God will become more like a monster because he's allowing it or he's doing it or somehow for his glory, he caused it or initiated it, whether it's for my good, that's like a catch-all. Well, praise God, you know, it's for my good. For some reason, it's all for the glory. And, and we have these catchphrases for divine providence, like the scripture in Romans 8. It's, it's not a catch-all for divine providence. That's, that's totally out of context. Just because God works something for good doesn't mean he initiated it. And so our view of God, our concept of God, our vision of God is so important as Christians. Listen, I don't care how much you read the Bible. If your view of God is warped, your Bible reading will just continue to supplement your warped view of God. Well, no, I love Jesus. I mean, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I I read the New Testament. But we still have deeply seated in our imagination because of our influence of Western Christianity, a view of God that is not purely found in Jesus as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, we have, uh, we actually have classes where we, we go back in church history and we talk about this and we talk about our, our view of God, our concept of God, our vision of God, and our theology, because how you view God determines every, everything else that you understand about the Bible. That, that is the, in systematic theology, you learn your view of God. You learn who is God first before anything else. And, and it actually determines what, what you see happened at the cross and vice versa. How you see what happened at the cross determines how you see God. Like if you think that God uh, was really ticked off and so he had to send his son 
to, you know, punish his son so that you're not punished. Well, that that's your view of God. And if you think that that's what happened at the cross, then that's going to that's going to either supplement that view or it's going to change that view. If you don't think that's what happened at the cross. Now, some of you are thinking, well, didn't that happen? Well, I I don't know. Did it? Does the Bible say that that happened? I, I don't find one verse in the scripture that says God poured his wrath on Jesus. The reason it's taught is because we are contaminated with Reformed theology. And that teaching has only been around 500 years. The early church did not believe that. The, the, matter of fact, our conception of the gospel in the early church, it was not that punishment. God, does, the Bible does not say God has to punish sin. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Come on, somebody. The Bible doesn't say that. That fits our view of God if we're retributive. Oh, yeah, because justice, I'm, all, I'm a justice person. No, you just like payback. My Bible teaches us that at the cross, God reconciled humanity himself, and it was about forgiveness. Now, let me just throw a wrench at you right now, a theological wrench, right? If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Come on, somebody. Reference, movie reference. If God paid a price for your sin, if it was a debt then how could he forgive your sin and pay a debt at the same time? Did he pay a debt or did he forgive it? Which one is it? When it says that he was a ransom for many, what does that mean? Does that mean we're enslaved to sin? We're no longer under the indebtedness of the law? Or does it mean that we're in debt to sin and so he paid a debt? But wait, did he forgive or pay a debt? Because you can't do both. You either forgive it. How many know, wouldn't it be nice if all your banks and credit cards forgave all of your debt right now? Come on, somebody. We'd all be doing the charismatic two-step. You don't worry. I see the way you worship. Lift your hand, the worship pastor. Let's lift our hands. We do one of those courtesy lifts, you know. Yes, Lord, just one hand in the air. Praise God. But if all your debt was forgiven right now, you'd be like, come on, somebody. You know, we'd have church. Praise him. Praise him. Now, what's the difference? Is your debt forgiven or was your debt paid? That concept of your debt paid did not come into church thinking or theory of what happened at the cross until 1500 after the church was born, 1500 years after the church was born. I don't even know I'm talking to you about this stuff. I had not planned on saying this. But I want to throw some of this at you to just stir your heart to think. Now, we go deep into this stuff, and we look at what the Scripture actually says. And we look, now listen, you know, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And you can have certain lenses on that determine not only your concept of God, but how you read the Bible. So, like, if we have certain lenses on of what we've been taught that that come with mental ideas and pictures and truths and ideas and, you know, what we believe is true, what we believe is right, then, you know, when we read the Bible, we can actually string verses together and and try to interpret the Bible the way that we believe it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I want to throw this at you. When somebody says, well, I only believe what the Bible says, you know what they're actually saying is this, I believe my interpretation of what the Bible says. Now, that's huge. Because a lot of Protestants love saying that. Well, I just, uh, you know, my church teaches Bible. No, your church teaches the interpretation of the Bible. 
Hello? Their interpretation of the Bible. Some people, well, I, I just sit at home and I just read my Bible and I let the Holy Spirit reveal it to me. You know, with no community, no teachers, we don't receive God's gift of community, the church, none of that. Or we don't even know what the church has believed for 2,000 years. But I'm just going to sit here in my closet and I'm going to open up to Leviticus. And if God tells me to do something, you know, like I'm going to read Leviticus about that's something that's an abomination of the Lord, I'm not going to do it. You know, I mean, we have, we have no concept of how to study the Scripture uh, because we haven't been taught how to t- study the Scripture. Hello? And so some people think that way, think like, well, if I, you know, if I just read my Bible, then, you know, God's going to reveal it to me. And that's not the right way to think. Like we have to think for ourselves and we have to study and we have to learn from scholars and we have to learn church history and we have to grow uh, in, in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus and not just learn or read a scripture and try to string verses together to support our concept of what we think God should look like. A great philosopher one time said, God made, his, his, uh, God made us in his image and we return the favor. We always want God in our image. We want God to look like us. We want God to be that just God. Like what if justice isn't paying a debt? What if justice is an overflowing extravagant love that says you're completely forgiven 100%? What if that's what God's definition of justice is when we look at the cross, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that he wasn't asking God to do something he didn't want to already do. He was revealing the very heart of the Father to humanity for all time. What if justice was not a sacrificial payback economy, the exchange or anything like that, like because we broke God's law, therefore we must be punished. What if it was, no, we've been contaminated with sin with this live separation, with all of this stuff in the cosmos reigning. And when we find Jesus and put our faith in him, we now can be free from that reign of sin and come under the reign of grace and righteousness and live out the way God intended us to. Like, what if, what if justice isn't what we think? What if justice isn't the payback system? You know, like the nation has justice and, and you know, and God uses nations and we have laws and all that. But what if in the, in the kingdom... The economy of the kingdom was not the same as the, the world's systems. What if the justice of heaven was Jesus or God coming in the person of Jesus saying, I love you more than you could imagine, and I've forgiven you. And when you understand that and you know who you are, you're going to release that love and forgiveness to other people, and they're going to know who they are, and they're going to come alive. What if the whole time that we're striving to do something God's already done. Like even our understanding of salvation and, you know, like we have all these hoops that people got to jump through to get saved. As a matter of fact, I believe that sometimes we evangelize not only on boxes, but in boxes. We evangelize and we, we love the lost, yet we are prejudiced because they are unclean. Because they don't know Jesus. Because they haven't done what we've done. We prayed the magical prayer. You know, now, I believe something happens when your heart says yes to God. I believe in the, the new birth. I believe that you're born again, 1 Peter 1, 23, not of a, a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. Something happens when you say yes to God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we've, 
we've made that into so much of a formula that it feeds our religious prejudice. It feeds our racism even. It feeds our denominationalism. It feeds the way we think towards one another when we hurt one another. I don't have to forgive you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. <laughs> God will take care of you. What if on God's side, he's like, I've already forgiven him. <laughs> and then on the end, we're like, well, God, weren't you going to take care of that? Yeah, I did at the cross 2,000 years ago. I said they were forgiven just like you. And you did more than they did. Hello? Judgment day, everything's exposed. The light of who God is. Oh, God. Forgive one another as we've been forgiven. Okay, so I align my heart with the reality of God's heartbeat towards me. And it affects my relationships in every area that I can imagine. So sometimes we evangelize in boxes. Sometimes we evangelize. Listen, I used to do ministry outreaches and a thousand people would gather and I didn't even want to be there and it was effective evangelism. How is it that some of our ministry systems can actually seem to bear fruit, but at the same time, our mouths are offering this gospel message of God loves you and he has open arms, yet my heart is shut off to you. Now, Peter, I think, went through the same thing. In Ephesians 3, Paul reveals this great mystery. And the mystery is this, is that that God chose to include the whole world and to love the whole world, not just his people in the Old Testament, but all the Gentiles, the rest of humanity would be included. Now, it was promised to Abraham that he would be a blessing to the whole world. It was also promised to David. The Mosaic Covenant came to an end at the cross and fully ended when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. There was a transitionary period. But the two covenants that God made with with Abraham and David opened up to the entire world in the work of Christ. We see that in the book of Acts. Actually, it's interesting. If you read the book of Acts, they never preached heaven or hell. Isn't it funny our gospel message today is totally different than the apostles? When you read the book of Acts, they didn't say, they didn't do like a heaven and hell skit. How many went to one of those and got saved? What was it called? Hell's gates. Hell's flames and heaven's gates. Like, and everyone gets like literally almost craps themselves and gets saved at the end. It's scary. They didn't need to do that. They preached Jesus as Lord. Because that was the promise of the Davidic covenant. He's on the throne. He reigns. He's the Messiah. He's alive. God raised him from the dead. Jesus is Lord. And he loves you. They preached the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. The reign of God and Jesus. They, They preached him. They preached the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. The fulfillment of those things. They read the book of Acts, the first message Peter preached, which, by the way, Peter did a really good job. He was ministering really good in Acts chapter 2, wasn't he? 3,000 people got saved. And then another 3,000, right? Or 6,000 or 5,000. It just keeps growing. But in Acts chapter 10, he's still got a racist spirit. We can function in ministry, but still have walls up. We can function in what seems to be fruitful ministry, but still have walls of prejudice, religious prejudice, denominational prejudice, or 
or this idea that the world, the people that aren't in this room worshiping, praising Jesus, taking Holy Communion with us and reading their Bibles, we have, that they're unclean. They're unclean. No, 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 they're unclean. They're lepers. They're, they're, we have to be separate from the world. This dualism of, you know, the, the, the separation of what's secular and what's holy, this over-compartmentalization where we don't even interact with the world. Like, I, I remember learning and growing in ministry where I wanted a service where I just wanted people that were saved so I could get them baptized in the Spirit because I wanted everyone to see that I was anointed. And when I laid hands on people, they spoke in tongues because I'm anointed, you know. And that was like, and I didn't realize, like, okay, that's the Holy Spirit working in my life. But I didn't even realize that one of the evidence of the Holy Spirit is not just I'm Pentecostal, I speak in tongues, but the evidence, which we're going to see in a moment, of the Holy Spirit working in your life is power to be a witness, not just in Jerusalem, God's people, but in Samaria, come on, the half-breeds, and everyone else, including to the ends of the earth. And the power of the Holy Spirit empowers inclusion, not exclusion. If you're tongue-talking, keeps your heart shut down from people, you need to stop talking in tongues and you need to get on your face and get God's heart for people again. Sometimes our our understanding, and listen, I went to church and it just fed this culture. It was my world. I wanted to preach the gospel in my world and God's like, I want you to preach the gospel to the world, the actual world. The people that are out there, the people that are hurting and broken, the people that you're prejudicing and the people that you condescend thinking that that's going to get them saved. Well, you're so depraved and you're so sinful that if you know how sinful you are, then you'll know you need Jesus. No, you know you need Jesus when you don't have him. You know it. The Spirit of God works on your heart. People, don't, they need to know how valued they are. And they need him. They need Jesus. He's the way. He's, he's the one. He's it, it, like he's the lover of all lovers. He's what? Uh, they've been looking for their whole life. He's, he's the gaze of a lover that that young girl that, who's promiscuous and, and like the woman at the well, he's the one that has the shoe to fit her foot. Come on, somebody. Like Jesus is the desire of the nations. So, you know, what is this whole idea of, of, uh, the whole idea of evangelism and, and ministry and, 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 and the gospel and, and how sometimes we, we can not only preach on a box, but we preach in a box and we live in this place and we can shut our hearts off to people in our marriages, in our families, with our sons, our daughters, our parents, or, or with the world or with church folk, you know? Like we can worship on Sunday morning on the front row and lift our hands and dance in the aisles, but we hate people Monday through Saturday. Something is wrong. Can I hear you say Amen. We're missing something, like we're, we're missing the, the heart of God. And, and Paul is revealing this mystery. I, I love the book of Ephesians. It's rich in theology. So that, that whole understanding of this letter, um, that, that it's so rich in theology, we should pay close attention. So let me just read a couple of verses to you. I finally got to the scripture, and it's 1123. Just wave at me if it's too long. Let's get it up there. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. I love that. He's like, I'm bound to Jesus in a, uh, I'm, I'm his, like literally, I'm so in love with him that I could walk away, but I'm so in love with him. I'm choosing to be a son and a daughter that serves him till the end for the sake of you Gentiles, for the sake of the world, for the sake of all the world, I am choosing to be bound to Jesus. The next verse, surely 
uh, you've heard about the administration or the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written to you briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, here's what it is. To which was not made known to the people to other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? I want you to go to that next verse, if you would, Victoria. Would you go over to the next scripture we have uh, back there? I don't have any notes. I just have those scriptures written down. So so I want to read this now. This is so powerful. This story in Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius, who was, he was a Greek. Uh, He was a Hellenistic Greek that believed the old covenant. He, he was uh, a converted Jew, if you will. So he, he was a converted Greek into Judaism. So um, he is worshiping and he has a vision from God and, uh, and, and something happens and God is doing this setup. He's setting something up. He's, he's establishing things in, in his people's lives. He's, you know, like, you know, you read the early church, uh, you read how they, they function and they, they ate together and and they loved one another, and they shared one another's needs. But even then, you know, even after Acts 2 and, and Acts 5, when, you know, when uh, Peter and John are walking through the temple and the lame man is begging and, and, and they, you know, they release healing to him and Peter's shadow is healing people and all these miracles are happening, there's still things in Peter's life um, where that God is, he's, there's literally walls around his heart and God is tearing them down. And this, this story is about that. So, in Acts chapter 10, uh, Cornelius has this vision, and God's like, hey, I'm pleased with you. I like you. Now, he wasn't, even, he wasn't even saved yet, and God says, you please me. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that the Bible... Now, have, how many have ever heard this? Uh, that, you know, if you're a sinner and you're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you're not capable of agape love. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that before. If you're a sinner... Okay, all the Baptists raise their hand, Okay. Bless the Lord. Like, if you haven't been born again, you're not capable of that agape love. That's something that Reformed theology, theology teaches us, and it's all over evangelicalism. But Jesus mentioned in, in the Gospel of Luke that sinners even love their own, and the word love is the word agape. Are you telling me that if a mama who's not a Christian is holding her baby and will do anything for that baby, that that mom doesn't love her baby with agape love? I beg to differ with you. You know, the same way that a mama bear, you get in between. I remember we used to go to camp and we'd look for bears. Idiots. Why would we do that? We used to put a sweet and sour sauce out from McDonald's and like, let's see the bears, man. Like, yeah, let's get killed. Sounds good. You remember the stuff you used to do, the cray-cray stuff, right? So we'd look for bears. And I remember hearing, if you see a baby bear, you do not get in the way of mama bear and baby bear. Because Mama Bear is going to come right at you because she thinks you're threatening. The same, how much more a mom who, I don't care if she's not a Christian, she has agape love. Now, Cornelius is not regenerated, but he's pleasing God. 
God called him a good man. Well, no one is good unless they're saved. No one is righteous, no, not one. Let me throw a wrench in that theology. God calls Cornelius good before he receives the gospel. So, you know, that whole idea that we're, we're so far from God that there's nothing good in us. I don't, I don't believe that. doesn't mean that we're good enough to get to heaven. Hello? But it doesn't mean we're so evil that there's nothing in us that God doesn't like. Like he looks at us like we're just a little doggy doo-doo or something. There's theology that teaches that. I mean, there's, you know, there's theologians, Reformed theologians says that we're like uh, snow-covered dog dung. We're covered in the blood. I mean, that's, that's the idea that some people have about us and about the way God looks at humanity. So in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has a, uh, an encounter with an angel, and, and Peter has a vision, and he goes in a trance. He was hungry. Have you ever been in a trance when you're hungry? And Peter has this thing. Come on, somebody. Oh, glory. Food is good. He has this vision of something coming down out of heaven. I think it was like a really nice sushi roll. And it had jalapenos on top of it. And it had some, you know, different creatures, you know, cut up in there, tuna and like some good stuff. And, and Peter's like, I can't eat that. I'm a Jew. And God says, don't say what I've cleansed. You can't eat what I've purified. So he has this vision over and over and over again. Now, here's what I want to read. I want to read these verses that him telling the story of what the vision means, okay? Now, remember, Peter has fruitful ministry, but he's still a little prejudiced in his heart towards other people. Hello? If Peter planted a church at this time, it'd probably be all Jews. Nobody else. Seriously. If Peter kept his paradigm at this point as as an apostle that God wasn't done with him it would have been predominantly just one people group it's not much different in our churches today if 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 somebody who's in leadership's heart is closed off to certain people groups those people groups will not feel welcome at the church no matter who they are it's not just race or creed whatever could be the lgbt community it could be i mean anybody it could be certain community like no we're we know we don't that's, no, they're unclean. They're, no, no, no. They need, to get, they need to go through our membership class first. They need, a, so they need to encounter freedom first before they can sit in these chairs, you know. Praise God. Now, Peter had to be delivered from this prejudiced spirit. So he's reading or he's talking about what the vision meant. Okay, let's go there. I don't have time to read the whole thing. Then Peter invited the men into the house. This is after the vision, okay, to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them because he had the vision. And he called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter entered the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Notice he's still kind of under the law. He still hasn't made that full transition. Makes you wonder about Ananias and Sapphira, that maybe what happened in Acts chapter 5 was Peter's judgment because the authority God gave him, not necessarily God's heart to kill two people in Acts chapter 5. Just throw that at you, thinkers, theologians. You ever wonder about Acts chapter 5? 
we want to be Peter in Acts chapter 5 sometimes, don't we? When we're receiving the offering, Rochelle, you know? Do not lie to the Holy Spirit. So he said, he's still working on that. God's still working on him, right? He's still in transition here. And, and so he says, uh, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone, let, read it, impure or unclean. Hold on, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. What about the sinners? Hold on a minute. Or did you read, you read what it says right here? It says that we should not call anyone, this is what God showed Peter, anyone impure or unclean. It doesn't mean that, that they're not. If somebody is living a, a lifestyle of sin, doesn't mean they're not doing that, but it doesn't mean that they're not forgiven or not included or not a part of God's plan, not under the umbrella of adoption that we have in Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're going to go to heaven. It doesn't mean they're going to receive it. They have to receive it. But but you understand that if we don't see them as valuable or included, or if we see them as unclean, if we see those other, whatever the people group it is, it could be people that hurt us. It could be maybe, you know, there's still prejudice in the church. You know, that's one of the things about Azusa Street it's marked and known for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. But one of the things I see evident that the, the power of the Holy Spirit was at work is in the early 1900s, uh, black folk and white folk did not worship in the same room. But not in Azusa Street. Why? Because walls came down. Why? Because the Holy Spirit teaches us inclusion, not exclusion. It matures us in who Jesus is. We don't stand on a box and evangelize. We don't evangelize inside a box. We don't, we don't uh, you know, vocalize, oh, I love people. I love, God loves you. But in our heart, we push people out of our hearts. You don't have to have somebody in your life to hold them in your heart. But how many times do we push people out of our hearts? Like, ah, because of pain or hurt or whatever. We've all done it. When God wants us to be radically forgiving like he is, radically receiving. It doesn't mean that we have to have people that hurt us in our life. Healthy boundaries are important. But how do we see humanity? How do we see the broken? How do we see those other people groups, the world, whoever that is, that maybe we're prejudiced against and the walls need to come down? We could function in ministry. We could we could do things great, you know, but we still might have a little bit of a prejudice like we're reading the Apostle Peter had an encounter with God and it changed his paradigm because the new covenant was about all of humanity, not just one people group. This is why when you read Romans, Paul's writing to Jews and Greeks and the Jews had a problem and he had to lay it down and say, no, you're justified by faith. People that put their trust are, are, are in right relationship with God because they trust what Jesus did. This through the Jewish mind for a loop because they said, we have been practicing the law and you're telling me we don't get anything out of it? He's like, no, it's one new man now. And we just read it in Ephesians. That was the mystery in Ephesians that Paul was revealing. Amen. Now I want you to turn to the last verse and uh, in, in John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 19, 19 through 23. You guys enjoying this? I feel like it's really important that we as the people of God don't limit the work of the Spirit, the expression of the Spirit and Jesus and the Father in our lives just to the capacity of our culture or our world. Like sometimes we 
we confuse the difference between our sphere and metron of authority and what God's called us to do in general or in, in a specific area to a general understanding of that we are called to love all people. That we are called, and, and so our idea of ministry, we can't mix the two. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and that we can't, uh, we can't think that, well, this is what God has called me to do uh, as far as ministry is concerned. Sometimes we just minister to the people we want to minister to instead of minister to the people that God wants to give us a heart for. Hello. And we see that in this story. We see it in, in Paul's revelation. We see it in Acts chapter 10. And it changed. Now, after that story, let me just say this before we read John 20. It says that as Paul was, or Peter was uh, preaching, the Holy Spirit just hit him. Isn't that awesome? The Spirit of God, he didn't give an altar call. He didn't lead him in any prayer at all. The Spirit of God hit him and they were speaking in tongues. Boom, just like that. I think God did it on purpose just to show how badly he wanted to fill the world up with the Spirit of God the people that are unclean. Hello? There's a story, uh, amazing story of an evangelist. And, uh, uh, and th- this man walked in great authority. And Lester Summerall, most of you have heard of him. And this is years ago. This guy passed on uh, to be with the Lord. But he's in South America and he's preaching. And there's a witch doctor interrupting the service. And this witch doctor, he's practicing witchcraft. And he's making people levitate. And he's trying to hold a crusade. And... Uh, and, and so it's disrupting what's going on. So he got irritated and said, commanded the demon that was just influencing that whole thing with the witch doctor. He commanded that demon to leave that man. The guy got completely diver, uh, delivered. Demon shrieked. He fell over and died. The guy died. So Lester Summerall was like, well, now we got to raise him from the dead. <laughs> That'd be the right thing to do, right? Didn't even get a chance to preach the gospel to him. The devil left him. We didn't even get to do the whole bit, you know. So he said, now, Father, I command life to fill this man. The guy literally comes up speaking in tongues. He didn't pray any magical prayer, man. That's a nice conversion. <laughs> How'd you get saved? Well, I went to a discipleship class. How'd you get saved? I just got raised from the dead and filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. Come on, somebody. <laughs> He was a warlock. You know the evangelistic plea in Revelation about come, Lord, come. You know, there, there's, this, there's a song written about it. Kevin Prosh wrote it years ago. But it's not just a plea in, a, in, a, in our hearts to say the spirit and the bride say come, come Jesus, come return. How many know we long for the physical return of Jesus? Come on. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day one day you're going to be able to give Jesus a hug and look into his eyes and see the scars in his hand. I mean, come on. Isn't that incredible? I'm going to be first in line. I'm going to shove everyone out of the way for my hug. No, I, would, I did church in Sin City. I get a hug first. I'm sure Heidi Baker will beat me to it, but <laughs> praise God. What was I saying? Someone help me. Is anybody listening? (laughs) Warlock, yeah, the evangelistic plea. It wasn't just about, in Revelation 22, you can read it, come to the waters, you know, uh, the spirit and the bride say come. It wasn't just come Lord, but it was come and freely drink of the waters. The witches, the warlocks, the prostitutes, 
come on, all the world, all the people we call unclean, the people outside our box, the people outside our world. Come, freely drink. The heaven, or the gates are always open. Read the book of Revelation in, in our understanding of the new Jerusalem. The gates are always open. Why? Because God's heart is open to people. He's the, prodig- he's the, the father of the prodigal son waiting for the son to come home. And if you understand that story right, he did not repent before he got received. It was the receiving that caused the repentance. I've taught on it before. But historically, if you read it, he pre-rehearsed his prayer. I'm not worthy to be your servant. Father didn't, he, the, the dad didn't have no time for that. He's so glad to see his boy. It didn't even matter. You don't need to say anything. Just shh. What if God just interrupted our sinner prayer? I love you. Come over here and sit in my lap. I forgave you 2,000 years ago, man. You've been under the blanket of my love and forgiveness the whole time. All you had to do is say yes. That's the good news. It's way better than we can imagine. The good news is not some evangelical method to lead someone into the inclusion of the church, the holy people. The gospel is, you're loved. You're forgiven. Come and drink of the waters and be healed. Come and be set free. In closing, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when disciples were together with all the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of a a religious, political spirit. It's, it's funny, sometimes that political spirit can blind us from seeing a true love revolution. Sometimes that political spirit can blind us from, from really going outside our, our world. But, you know, later on we see that the disciples, the apostles, were not afraid to give their life at all. I mean, look at the, the history of the church. They were so willing to give their life because they had seen the risen Lord. But so they're locked behind doors and they're in fear. And look what happens. It says Jesus came and stood among them. Some people believe he just walked through the walls, man, in his glorified body. There's quantum physics say that that's actually possible. It should be possible. Jesus just walks through their walls, walks through their, their paradigm, walks through their, their moment of fear. And here's what he says, peace be with you. Go to the next verse. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine? And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Leave that up for just a minute. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So the way that... Jesus represented the Father. We represent Him to the world. The same, the same sending, the same commissioning of the heart and humility of God to become flesh, to be a foot washer, to love, not to be afraid of lepers, but to be moved with compassion. Sometimes we look at the world as lepers. Instead of being afraid of the contamination of the lepers, we have the balm of Gilead to heal and cleanse the lepers. 
our very relating to them, our words to them, our prayers to them, our love to them is healing. Our acceptance to them is healing. Our inclusion of them is healing. You know me, I want to include everybody. My wife sometimes doesn't like it. We have a barbecue. I'm going to invite the whole church. (laughs) Our carpet gets ruined. I don't care. You know, come on in. I think God's heart is so inclusive. We couldn't even begin to imagine that God, God purposed in his heart, even before the fall, to join himself with us and bring us into that sweet fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow. Can you say wow? That's what Baptists do when they don't know how to speak in tongues. Wow. Father sent Jesus. Before we go to this last verse, there's a, a powerful verse, and I think it's John 15, 9 or 16. I'm not sure, but it says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Then it said, he, Jesus says, abide in my love. The, the same Father or the love the Father has for Jesus he has for you. And then he says, abide in my love. I think abide in my love isn't just like, well, I'm, an abi- I'm abiding in the vine. I'm abiding in the love. Leave me alone. I'm in prayer. I think it's just this simple fact. Let him love you. Just be loved. Because you're beloved. Just be loved. That's it. Do you know that if we love people, it can break chains off of their life. If we look at them and say, man, you're forgiven, you're loved, you're accepted. Literally heavy, weighty chains of sin crumble under the weight of that glorious love revealed in Jesus, revealed through our lives, revealed through our hearts becoming like his heart, not in a box, not just preaching the gospel to our world, but preaching the gospel to the world, the people we call unclean, the people we've had prejudice against, denominationalism, all the stuff, prejudice, racial spirits, other people groups, people that aren't our color. Come on, somebody. If we get out of that and say, no, I want God's heart, I want God's heart, the walls come down and the chains are broken. Now look what he says here. This is so powerful. Verse 22. Are you ready? Verse 22. You got it ready? And with that, listen, this is it. Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't go to the next verse yet. They didn't start speaking in tongues yet. They were born again. The breath of God came into them. Later he says, wait. And the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And that's what happened. A bunch of Samaritans got saved. A bunch of Hellenistic Greeks got saved. The God-fearers. When the Acts says God-fear, it's Hellenistic Greeks. It's people that lived, they were Greek, but they converted to Judaism. And then a bunch of Gentiles got saved. The Holy Spirit's powerful work spread out to the entire world. It was always God's heart's intent and purpose. When he chose Israel, it was not about exclusion. It was about inclusion of everyone. He chose to reveal himself to a meek people on the face of the earth and make a covenant with them that all pointed to a better covenant, a better reality of love, acceptance, and forgiveness we see in the incarnation of Jesus. And that's a mouthful. The power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? I'm closing with this. Thank you, Lord. If you, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. 
If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. One version says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you retain them, they're retained. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated in the message. He says, if if you forgive them, they're forgiven. If you hold on to them, what good are they to you? Have we retained those other people's sins against them? When God says, don't count their trespasses against them? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the reconciliation of the whole world. God did not count their trespasses against them. Are you thankful that your sins weren't held against you when you prayed that prayer? That all of a sudden after the prayer, now your sins were forgiven? No, your sins were already forgiven. You received it at the prayer. Hello? I know most of us are so evangelical, it's out of our framework. But think about it. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago. You received it at some point in your life. And most of you probably received it when you were young and you cried out to God in your pain and hurt. And you had no idea that he, he stuck to you like super glue and that manifested later in your life. Hello? Because you know God's hand was on you. Many of you can look back and think, I should have been dead. When I used to hold on to trucks and cars going 70 miles an hour with rollerblades on, I should have been dead. I don't know why I did that. Alex, how many times do you think God's hand was on your life? Because God had a plan and a purpose before the foundation of the world, his heart's intent to say, that's my son. And anoint you. And anoint you guys. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, he says, don't retain sins, guys. That's not the message. Hello? This is a complex scripture. I believe he's saying, if you retain them, they're not going to do you any good. Why? Because your hearts now contain the presence of God. (sighs) Holy Spirit. What's that? That's the type and shadow of the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant. Guess what was on the top of the Ark where the glory, the Shekinah glory, the, the dwelling glory of God, the mercy seat where no sin was retained. Our hearts are to beat like the mercy seat. Flowing from our hearts should be the love of God. Are you hearing me this morning? If we open our hearts to the harvest in our churches, in the world, we will not have room in our buildings to contain the prodigal sons and daughters. We don't want to deal with drug addicts and prostitutes and promiscuity and all the different races. And we don't want to deal with it because we have walls around, but the walls need to come down. The church must be delivered from the religious prejudice spirit, from the racial spirit, from the denominational spirit. Because our hearts should beat like the mercy seat. And the Holy Spirit empowers us not just to speak in tongues and do those wonderful things that I do all the time, but to love people, but to be inclusive, but to open our arms to broken people. You know, some people just need a stinking hug. They don't need your message. They need a hug. They don't need to know how many scriptures you can quote to them. Romans Road, Romans 3.23. Yet why we're sinners? Romans 5. No, just hug and love the snot out of them. They've been looking for someone to weep with. They've been looking for someone to know they're not alone in their pain. The testimonies of people that have been set free from the LGBT lifestyle to come in and say, no, 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 you don't have to live that way. 
Come on, Satanism and the occult, Rob and Millie, your, your testimony. Just think about it for a minute. Like living in such a fear. Were you guys here when Millie gave her testimony up here? She was afraid to go get food in the kitchen because she was going to get yelled at by her dad. And I mean, my God, there's some hurting people in the world. And we've called them unclean. When they're exactly what the Papa's heart is looking for. His eye is on them. His eye is on them. His heart is for them. Come on, somebody. In closing, I want you to dim the lights and I want to pray. Here's what we're going to do. If you'd like to be dismissed, you can be dismissed. And we had some announcements we're going to do. We're not going to do that. I hope that's okay. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to just do some FaceTime up here. Not on your iPhones, but at the altar. You can FaceTime someone who needs Jesus if you want. I want, to, I want to pray that we can just capture God's heart and let walls come down and forgive and love. That's Claire's heart. You love everybody that comes to you and you hug them and you prophesy to them and you tell them to, you need freedom too. You tell them you need to schedule an encounter freedom session because you want to see them the way God destined them to be, to live free, to fly, and not to be bound. And that's God's heart for people. So I want to do this. I want you to dim the house lights, please. I thought I already said that. Maybe I didn't, but bring the house lights down. I want you to close your eyes. Come on. Would you lift your hands? Prayer words. I want you to pray. Intercessors begin to pray right now. Come on. I want you to pray in the spirit. Please just lift up your voices. Mama Lori, I want you to pray. Would you just cry out to the Lord? Vicki, our intercessors, come on. Jeff and Chris and Clara, come on. Would you lift your voices? Our, our leaders, our pastors, come on, lift your voice and cry out. God, let the walls come down. Get out of our boxes and that political spirit, that religious spirit, that prejudice spirit, just break it. Let the walls come down right now. The walls come down right now. Teach us to love, God. Teach us to love like you, oh God. So Holy Spirit, breathe on us. And teach us forgiveness. Breathe on us and teach us your heart. Breathe on us and teach us that the ark now is in within, within us. And, and we, should, we should be with the same glory that was on the mercy seat. That forgiveness and love just pours out of our lives in the name of Jesus. Now I want to invite you, if you want to come pray at the altar as we dismiss you, we're going to do some burn time. I want to pray over some of you guys. I want you to come right now, and I want you, don't hesitate. If you feel like you need this and you want to get out of your boxes,